0: Hey, I'm Caleb Howard, and welcome back to Tales from Sacred Texts. This podcast tells stories from the holy books of major religions that will have you asking, was that really in the Bible? This week's story is the beginning of a series on the Hebrews' quest for the promised land. It's a whole lot of story, and initially I wanted to jump back and forth between stories in this section of the Bible, but then I started thinking the story of the Exodus, the Hebrew escape from slavery, and their journey to becoming a free people needed to be told in order. We're not going to do it all at once, though. We'll just be starting today with the birth of a brilliant leader who made the whole thing possible. In this episode, we'll learn that killing government officials in front of people that you've just met isn't a good idea, how to magically create snakes, and how to absolutely wreak havoc on an ancient country. So, without further ado, let's get into the story. Getting nervous. He had a lot of slaves. Too many, actually. Wait, hold on a minute. His advisors were sure that they hadn't heard him right. There really was no such thing as having too many slaves. The more people you had doing your work for you, the better. The Pharaoh shook his head. That was true, but you know, the really weird thing was that slaves didn't really like being slaves. The advisors nodded. They wouldn't want to be slaves. That made sense but who cared what these people wanted? They were slaves. They did only what the Egyptians wanted. That's what slaves meant. Pharaoh rolled his eyes. Had the advisors ever heard of slave revolts? So that was where he was going. A grin spread across one advisor's face. He knew what to do. Jochebed was crying. A lot. Her husband looked equally worried. They just had a son, which was really great, except for the fact that the pharaoh had just made a law that all new Hebrew boys would be killed. And like any reasonable mother, Jochebed did not want her baby to be killed. I mean, she'd gone through the pain of delivery and everything. Did she really want to have nothing to show for it? She'd tried to hide the baby for almost three months, despite it constantly crying. But there had been some close shaves, and it was obvious that pretty soon the boy would be found out. Then their whole family would be killed, made an example of. Yochabed had started to spend her evenings making a tiny coracle, big enough for a baby, but small enough that it wouldn't be easily noticed. In a Hail Mary, she thought that she'd float the baby in the river. Maybe someone would see it and take pity. Really? How many of the Egyptians would be okay with killing a baby when it was looking them in the eyes? Miriam was getting nervous. Moses's older sister, Jochebed, had sent her to watch from a distance and see what happened to little Moses. She wasn't sure who she had expected to come down to the river first, but it wasn't the pharaoh's daughter. That's for sure. If there was any of the Egyptians that was going to enforce the law, it would be her. Miriam crouched in the bushes, anxious. She almost slipped into the river to retrieve her little brother, but it was too late. The princess had already stopped and held up two fingers. She pointed at one of her slaves. Go get that basket, she demanded. The princess slowly opened the basket to reveal a crying baby. She knew it was one of the Hebrews' babies, but she didn't care anymore. She just couldn't kill it now. I'm keeping this baby, she told her slaves. Miriam smiled. This is exactly what she had hoped for. She stepped out of her hiding place. Maybe the princess would like a Hebrew slave to nurse the baby for her. Raising a child was really difficult. You're not going to immediately get the mother, are you? The princess asked. Absolutely not, Miriam said. I'm just going to get the nearest Hebrew slave. The princess was skeptical. So you just happened to be in the bushes next to the basket that this baby was in? Yeah, I hide in the bushes all the time, Miriam lied. The princess shook her head. Miriam was obviously going to get the mother, but she didn't really care. She was pretty nice as far as Egyptians went. She even offered to pay Moses' mother. Even though the princess didn't tell the pharaoh that the baby boy was a Hebrew, he was not happy. You're letting a Hebrew mother raise a baby that's going to come and live in the palace? Don't you know the saying, give me a boy and I'll show you the man or something like that? There's a reason we only use reliable slaves to train kids, or better yet, we train them ourselves. We don't want the Hebrews creating a leader that will lead a revolt. And I hear you're paying her too. You know what slave means? Slave means you don't have to pay them. Psychology isn't going to exist for another 4,000 years, the princess said. Plus, it's just common sense. Nobody living a life of luxury will ever want to help slaves. But the princess was wrong. While he was still a young boy, Moses came to live with a pharaoh. Through all the military training, all the best education Egypt could offer, and all the luxuries of the palace, Moses remembered who his people were. While he never said anything out loud, and while sometimes he was tempted to just accept his life as an Egyptian, he could never feel comfortable while his people were enslaved. But as the years passed, and while Moses pitied his people, he never stood up and never did anything to help. He started rationalizing his inaction. Nothing he could do would ever set his people free, unless maybe he became the Pharaoh. Moses didn't know, but he did like being an Egyptian. Moses' 39th birthday was a bit too wild. It was loud, it was extravagant, and most of all, it was full of slaves. The slaves brought him the finest food and provided entertainment for him. He could see the marks on their backs where they had been beaten, and he knew that that was nothing compared to the slaves who had been building pyramids. He sighed and left early, claiming to be sick. He just couldn't do this anymore, walking the fence. He had a choice to make. He could either enjoy the high life for a few more years or get old, and die, forever the traitor to his people, or he could cast in his lot with his people and with his God. Moses strode out into the field on a blazingly hot day. He'd made up his mind. He was going to look around. Normally, he avoided looking at the slaves. He didn't like the feeling of guilt. But now he was different. He was a man on the mission. He was looking for a way to free his people, and even more, get them to trust him. His brother Aaron and his sister Miriam were the only people alive who even had a vague memory of him. The others just saw him as another filthy Egyptian. Near the end of the day, Moses reached the end of the city that the slaves were building. There was only a few people out here. He was just about to turn around when screams of pain caught his attention, and he walked purposefully toward their source. There... Moses saw an Egyptian mercilessly lashing one of his own people. Something inside of him snapped. Moses looked all around to make sure that there was no one nearby. Here, give me that, Moses said authoritatively to the Egyptian taskmaster. The Egyptian looked at him quizzically. Moses held out his hand. The Egyptian reluctantly gave the whip to Moses, who raised it above his head and brought it down upon the Egyptian. The Egyptians screamed and looked at Moses in horror, but Moses kept swinging the whip. Faster and faster came the blows, and the Egyptian desperately tried to shield himself, but in vain. When he was sure the Egyptian was dead, Moses dug a hole in the sand and buried him. He walked back to the palace, confident that he had done the right thing and that no one would ever know. The next day, Moses went out again, this time coming across two Hebrews that were fighting with each other about something. Moses held up his hand and spoke with a conciliatory voice. Your brothers, why are you fighting each other? Don't you have enough trouble as it is being enslaved? He addressed the man in the wrong. Take it easy on him, okay? The Hebrew looked up. It's you, he growled. We had enough trouble until you came along and tried to set yourself up as a ruler over us. What for? You're an Egyptian and a crazy one at that. Normal people just don't walk up to people and kill them. Do you plan to kill me? Like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Moses was terrified and disappointed. Terrified because if all the Hebrews knew, the Pharaoh would soon find out and then he'd be as good as dead. There had been days when the Pharaoh had suspected he might be a Hebrew. Now it'd be pretty obvious. Even if the Pharaoh was an idiot, randomly killing Egyptian taskmasters and inciting insurrection was a crime worthy of death. Disappointed because he had tried his best to help his people, but they had betrayed him. He was neither an Egyptian nor a Hebrew, and he didn't have a home. As Moses stood there next to the two fighting Hebrews, several unsmiling Egyptian guards appeared out of nowhere. They drew their swords and pointed them at Moses. Moses gulped. He only had one choice. He jumped back onto his horse and galloped away. The guards tried to pursue him, but Moses was too fast for them. He was alone, friendless, and separated from his people, but he was alive. And one day, he'd plan better. He'd come back and have his revenge. We'll find out how Moses levels up his powers and returns to Egypt, but that will be right after this. All right, now back to the story. Moses sighed. The last thing he was looking for was a fight, but the first people that he met were some misogynist shepherds. They figured that it was their right to get water before any of the women shepherds did, so they were trying to drive the women away. Moses looked at the women. They were hot. He'd made up his mind. Listen, you really need to share the well with these women. I know it's ancient times, but being misogynist is not a good look. The shepherds shrugged. Everyone was a misogynist. What was this fancy Egyptian doing here anyway? Egyptians hated shepherds. Everyone knew that. But while the shepherds grumbled, they didn't dare cross the Egyptian man. They slunk away and allowed the women to get water. It turned out that the women were sisters, daughters of a man named Jethro. After the women got their water, they headed straight home, not bothering to talk to Moses. He'd hoped for better. He was tired and hungry. But when the women got home, they met Jethro at the door. How come you're back so early? Those other shepherds didn't drive you away today? The daughters shook their heads. Dad... You knew they caused trouble for us every day and you didn't do anything? Jethro didn't understand why his daughters didn't get it. He was a priest. Priests didn't get involved in fights. Priests didn't take care of their own sheep. Tough luck for the daughters, of course, but it wasn't his job to drive away the shepherds. Now, if they had husbands, well, the husband would probably make them deal with the shepherds as well. One of the daughters spoke up. It was an Egyptian, Dad. Some random Egyptian came up and told off the shepherds. Wait, what? Jethro was interested now. A real Egyptian in these parts? Was he wearing all the funny clothes and stupid hairstyles that the Egyptians thought were cool? Yeah, one of the daughters said. Although, he did look kind of rough. Probably he'd been traveling a lot. He is a long way from Egypt. Also, he was riding a horse. That was weird. Egyptians didn't usually do that. They rode in chariots. What an amateur move, Jethro said. You could have at least asked him to eat with us. I would have liked to meet him. So Moses found himself eating dinner at Jethro's house, and Jethro was thrilled by his story. Absolutely not a fan of Egyptians, Jethro felt some sympathy for this Hebrew trying to rescue his people. Want to stay here, he asked. You could marry one of my daughters. Are they into me? Moses asked. That doesn't matter, Jethro responded. This is the ancient world. I can give my daughters to whoever I want. Moses chose Zipporah, and it seems like they fell in love. As a side note, Zipporah was very dark-skinned, and Moses's sister Miriam was not happy about that. She started making fun of Zipporah's dark skin, saying that Moses should have married someone closer to his own skin color. In response, God cursed Miriam with leprosy, turning her skin white for seven days, yet some people still think that the Bible was against interracial marriage. Just a side note there. Time passed, and the years of Egypt began to seem like another life to Moses. There were days when he didn't remember his people, or the Pharaoh who still wanted him dead. Moses was happy, and he would have stayed near the home of Jethro indefinitely. One day, Moses turned 80. He was getting on more and more in years and preferred to be close to home. Still, he often took Jethro's sheep out to graze. On one of those days, he wandered out into the farthest reaches of the desert, where he saw something very puzzling. A bush was burning furiously, but for some reason, it refused to burn up. After about an hour of watching, Moses had had enough. This was really weird. Leaning on his staff, Moses walked up to check it out. A voice boomed from the bush. Moses, take off your shoes. Moses panicked. The bush was talking to him. No, no, it's God, the voice explained. Take off your shoes. I am here. This ground is holy. Wait, Moses asked. I tried to deliver my people 40 years ago. I was young then, and I could have done it well. Now I'm an old man. I don't even speak Egyptian well anymore. Exactly, God said. I don't choose people who are super talented to carry out my plans. I look for people who are humble and good-hearted. Moses shook his head. There must be some mistake. You're telling me to rally the people of Israel, ask the Pharaoh to let us go three days into the wilderness to sacrifice to God, and take all the Egyptian stuff with us as we leave the country? This is crazy. They're not even going to believe you sent me. What's that in your hand? God asked. A staff, Moses answered. Why are you asking anyway? You know what I have in my hand. I do, God agreed. I'm just trying to teach you that when I ask you to do something, I will always provide you with the resources necessary to do it. Okay, what am I supposed to do with this, though? Beat the Egyptians into submission? Throw it on the ground, God said. Moses looked around. Anyone who saw him would think he was an idiot, but Moses threw the staff on the ground anyway. Moses screamed. The staff turned into a poisonous snake. He started running away. Calm down, God said. Just pick it up by the tail. The what? God, snakes bite people that touch their tails. I know, God said. I made them. Moses still shrunk away from the snake. Pick it up by its tail, God repeated. Moses reached out his hand and grabbed the tail of the snake, and instantly it became a staff again. Moses breathed a sigh of relief. Cool, Moses said. Can you teach me another one? Sure, God replied. Stick your hands inside your robes. Moses stuck his hand inside his robes, and when he took it out again, he gasped. It was white as snow, covered in leprosy. Moses freaked out. God, this is literally a death sentence. Leprosy is the worst thing that could happen to someone. Put the hand back in your robes, God replied calmly. As Moses did that, a warmth spread through his hand. He knew before he looked at it that it had gone back to normal. Wow, Moses told God. That's not all, God said. If, by some chance, people don't believe that the first two things were from me, you can put some river water into a jug and pour it out. And it will become blood. Is this some foreshadowing of what you could do to the whole river if you wanted? Moses asked. God didn't answer. Spoilers, he said. Moses started telling God how bad he was at speaking. He could barely even speak Egyptian anymore, he said. God told Moses it would be all right. Who made your mouth? Me. If I want you to talk well, you will talk well. Moses wasn't sure. He asked God to send somebody else. God became angry with Moses. I keep telling you that I will help you, and you keep questioning me. But if you really are so anxious, I'll send your brother Aaron to help you. I know that he can speak well. But what about the Pharaoh who wants me dead? Moses asked God. I've already made the point. I'm God. If I don't want you killed, then you won't be killed. Also, that Pharaoh is dead. Oh, Moses said smallly. This is totally going to work, Aaron said. We already convinced all the Hebrews and it only took a few minutes. Yes, but we told the Hebrews, hey, we're from God, we're sent to free you from slavery, and we can do magic. Watch, Moses said. And Aaron still wasn't quite getting it. Oh, the pharaoh is not going to want to let his slaves go. The Hebrews are desperate. They want to be free from slavery. But the pharaoh is just going to laugh us off as some hooligans, even if we can do magic. He has magicians that attend him all the time. Half an hour later, they were thrown out of the pharaoh's throne room onto the sidewalk. They were old men now, and it really hurt. Moses slowly dragged himself to his feet. Moses wasn't very happy. You were talking to the pharaoh, and you never even mentioned that we could do magic. Aaron thought that this was ridiculous. I mean, he had led with. Let all your slaves go into the wilderness for three days, and you got that was a bit of a sensitive topic, and maybe he shouldn't have led with it, but he really didn't have the time. The moment he said, slaves into the wilderness, they'd been thrown out of the throne room. People with slaves wanted to keep their slaves. To tell the truth, that was kind of unexpected. As Moses and Aaron walked back out to the where the Hebrews lived, they met a crowd of furious people. Aaron held up his hands. Listen, we tried, guys. The elders interrupted. You shouldn't have tried. Have you heard what happened? Aaron had not, so the elders were more than ready to fill them in. Straw was an important ingredient in brick making, the primary thing that the Hebrews were enslaved to do. Up until this point, the Hebrews had been given the straw necessary to make the bricks and while it was miserable being enslaved, at least they didn't get beaten every day. Now, however, the Pharaoh had decreed that the Hebrews must not have enough work to do if they really thought they had the time to worship God in the wilderness. So now they'd have to collect their own straw, but still make the same amount of bricks. Now they were getting beaten every day. The elders wished aloud that God would punish Moses and Aaron. And that effectively shut them up for the moment. Moses and Aaron went and spoke to God who instructed them as to what they should do. Oh, you're back. The Pharaoh was not happy. I got rid of you idiots a few days ago. Moses looked at the Pharaoh and he spoke in Hebrew. Aaron interpreted, they were from God and they could do magic. Okay, this was interesting. Pharaoh leaned back, show me. Aaron threw his staff on the ground, and it turned into a snake. The pharaoh jumped back. Neat trick, but was it really all that great? He called his magicians, who all did the same. See, you aren't that powerful. The pharaoh scoffed. Aaron waved his hands, and the magicians jumped back in alarm. Aaron's snake started slithering around, gobbling up the magician's snakes. The magicians tried to grab their staves, but the pharaoh told them to stay back. He wanted to see this magic. After the last snake had been eaten by Aaron's snake, Aaron grabbed his snake by the tail and it became a staff again. The pharaoh laughed. Did Aaron think that little demonstration would convince him to let the Hebrews go? No. No, it wouldn't. Get out of my sight, the pharaoh yelled. That's all for today. Next week, God, through Moses and Aaron, unleashes disasters on Egypt that wreak havoc on the entire country to a level heretofore unseen, and the Pharaoh really has no clue how bad things can really get. Again, thank you so much for listening. You guys are really what makes this podcast possible. And I encourage you to write a review wherever you get your podcasts and to subscribe if you really enjoyed it. Thank you again for listening, and see you next week. Script writing is by myself, Caleb Howard, and music is by myself and by Anchor.